Thank you. you. may be seated. I appreciate those of you that were willing to go around and, and just help someone. Uh, would you guys agree that life sometimes just stinks? I, don't know, I figured you'd be a little more adamant about that. Do you guys agree that sometimes life just stinks? It does. It does. Do you also agree that God is good and all the time? Y'all didn't know really for sure how to answer that, right? You're like, oh, yeah, but normally we say, that's all right. Let, let me encourage you to, to be a part of that series. I promise if you will be open and transparent with people, people will be open and transparent with you and you can help someone, right? It's okay to, to admit that, that life sometimes just stinks and, and that's okay. And, and I pray that this is a safe place uh, to do that. In, in fact, uh, normally... I think I didn't get the memo, but normally on, on the first Sunday of the month, people wear this Regen shirt. So I thought, well, I'm going to be a part of the group. Do you guys see anyone else wearing a Regen <laughs> shirt today? So I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get the memo, not today. But Regen meets every Wednesday night. At 6.30, they meet right in here, and it is a safe place uh, to share your struggles. Because we all have hurts or habits or hang-ups that we, we need help with. Number one, freedom in Christ. But number two, we need help with believers. James says, I'm going to confess to the Lord for forgiveness, but I'm going to confess to my fellow brothers in Christ for healing. There's something healing about getting that habit or hurt or hang up off your chest and just saying, I need help. Life is kicking me in the pants, all right? I don't know where that came from, but I, that was the safest thing I could say what I was thinking. So we don't have a lot of time, so let's get to the text. First Corinthians chapter six. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and let me give you this, the context. I think the church of Corinth or the city of Corinth uh, could be very similar to our culture today, okay? The prevailing thought and philosophy was that our body is a prison of our soul. And because of that prevailing thought that my body is a prison to my spirit and soul, it led to two extreme views, okay? So if you've done much uh, Greek philosophy study, of which I have not, you would find that there's really two main streams of thought that come out of that ideology or that philosophy that our body is just a prison of our soul. The first one is Epicureanism, which basically, I'm gonna just give you one sentence to remember what this means. This means that you will fulfill all your pleasures and passions. Since my body is a prison for my soul and I'm only gonna have it X amount of time, then I'm gonna let my body do whatever it wants. I'm gonna withhold nothing, no pleasure, no passions. Everything is go. Everything's okay. That's one thought that would come out of this philosophy. The second is stoicism. And stoicism was really the, the, the counter or the opposite of that. That means that I'm, gonna not, I'm not gonna fulfill all my passions and pleasures. I'm gonna deny my body all its passions and pleasures. Like I'm gonna live in suffering not gonna eat, nothing fun, right? And so just based on those two descriptions, I think it's probably very obvious to everyone in the room which one was more popular, right? And that was the city of Corinth. It would be a modern day Las Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas 
Y'all really shouldn't know that. You get the point. All right. And that's what Paul is writing because not only had the culture been so bad, but the culture had infiltrated the church. And this is why we say at Hallmark that we want to be a biblically, we strive to be, we will be a biblically driven church. And what does that mean? That means that we are not going to change our lifestyle to fit the culture, right? We're not going to change the Bible and what the Bible means to fit the culture or our lifestyle. We're going to change our lifestyle to fit the Bible. The Bible is my authority for how I live and how I act. And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and the Really, the kind of underlying theme in the entire book is Paul is asking, remember, this is not written to the world, it's written to believers. And Paul is asking a specific question that just goes throughout the entire book, and that is this, is, is the Lord, is God, Yahweh we talk about, is Jesus simply your Savior, or is he also your Lord? Because every one of us will be a master or a slave Romans talks about to something or someone. And what Paul says is we, he wants you to be a slave to your master, Jesus. Is Jesus in control of your life? Every aspect of your life. 1 Corinthians chapter number six, verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. So verse 12, he begins with really a popular, what theologians would say is that this, all things are lawful for me was something that was prevalently said in the culture of Corinth, but had also been adopted by the church of Corinth. They were taking their freedoms in Christ to the excess, right? All things, I'm a saved, I'm a believer, so it doesn't really matter. I'm going to heaven, I can do whatever I want. That's the philosophy. So Paul's addressing it. You say all things are lawful for me, Paul says, but all things are, are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath, God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And here's the directive, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your, what is it? Own. You don't belong to yourself. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul wants to remind us. Now, understand this that as a follower of Jesus, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, that at that moment, Ephesians says, you were sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And that salvation is secure, not because I'm good enough, but because God was good enough and his spirit is gonna keep me. But also understand that in the process of being saved, God has another journey for us. And that journey is what we call the process of sanctification. That God wants me every single day to become more like Christ. And he's forming me into the image of Christ. 
My goal, your goal, God's goal for us as followers of Jesus is that we would be transformed into the image of his son. That's what Romans 8, 28 and 30 tell us. So that's the understanding. That in this process of becoming more like Christ, there are some things that I should probably not be involved in. But Paul here at the first is kind of introducing this understanding that there is some things in our culture that Bible, the Bible has not forbidden us to be a part of. These are items that would fall under the category of that we have liberty and we have freedoms in Christ. Okay, I don't know what comes to your mind when I, when I tell you, what, what are some things that you would say fall under, it's not explicitly said in scripture, thou shalt not this. I wonder what would come to your mind first. I asked the staff that this morning when we first got here for prayer. Anyone want to guess? I want you to just yell it out. What you think the staff said when we're talking about Christian liberties and freedoms in Christ, and the Bible doesn't explicitly say, thou shalt not what do you think that word was? Anybody got a guess? You guys are too scared to say. I'll tell you. Thou shalt not drink. That's what they said. You know what the second one was? This one surprised me a little bit. Might have been from the younger group. Smoke weed. That was the second one. Okay. My generation, when I was growing up, the first thing I probably would have said was go to movies. That was like, eh, wrong, you can't do that, right? So in those, what we would call gray areas, that it, the scripture doesn't say, thou shalt not this, how should we as Christians act? That's the first part that Paul is, is talking about. And, and we're going to go this real quick, okay? So what he says is, is that all things, and let me just read for you, all things, verse 12, all things are lawful for me but all things are not, he says, helpful. That's the New King James. The New Living Translation says, all things are not good for you. The CSB, they're not beneficial. One translation says, expedient. Like, it may be not wrong, it may not be considered a sin, but it may be not profitable or beneficial. So in those areas where the scripture's not explicitly saying, thou shalt not, you fill in the blank, how should we as Christians act? How should we know what the Holy Spirit, so you are indwelled as a follower of Jesus by the, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will quicken you as you read the word of God and say, you know what, for you, thou shalt not, whatever. When I was in eighth grade, I was not a good kid in eighth grade. No, I was a great kid who made a lot of bad choices. Let's put it that way. One of those bad choices I made was to find some alcohol and partake of said alcohol. I won't tell you what the rest of the day brought on, but it was very clear to me, for me, that God was telling me, John, thou shalt not drink. And you know what? I've not had a drink of alcohol since. Unless NyQuil counts, I don't know. In fact, I don't even know if I've had NyQuil. So what are the principles? Real quick, two principles. Number one, not all things are helpful. In other words, just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's profitable, okay? In bad grammar, just because you could doesn't mean you should, okay? Two principles, not all things are helpful. Number two, 
some things will enslave us. So here's a good question. When we're talking about the first principle, not all things are helpful. Here's a great question. Two questions asked. We could come up with 10 or 15 questions. I came up with two to make it simple. Is it helpful? Number one, will this help me be a better follower of Jesus? If I engage in this activity, is this going to help me be a better follower of Jesus? The second one, will this help lead someone to find and follow Jesus? Now, remember, when we make that statement, we lead people to find and follow Jesus. There's two aspects of that, right? Find. We want to help people know Jesus, people who are lost, who have not given their life to Christ. Is it going to hinder someone from coming to Christ if I'm involved in this activity? The second part of that would be, as a fellow believer, someone who is a follower of Jesus, is it going to help them become a better follower of Jesus if I involve myself in this activity? Okay, the second part of that, the second principle, are you enslaved? I'm gonna give you three more questions to, in, to invite, to ask yourself. One, the first one involves priorities. Has this action, this activity, this habit taken priority over essential things in your life, right? So and me being involved in 10 fantasy football leagues, is that taking a priority over me taking out the trash when my wife told me to, right? I'm, it's not personal, I'm just thinking of things out loud, okay? Time, are you spending too much time? Three, deception. Are you deceiving those close to you so that you can be involved in that activity? These are just simple questions. We could have spent a couple hours on each one of these questions. I'm just giving you some, some food for thought as you process these gray areas in my life, should I involve myself in them or not? And you have to get in the word and you have to talk to the Holy Spirit about it. Okay? Are you tracking with me? Say yes. yes. One last thing I want to say on this. Proverbs 27, 6. In Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the words, uh, excuse me, faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If you do not have a good Christian friend in your life who will be honest with you and say, you're crossing the line, no, this is not a healthy behavior. This has become an unhealthy habit. If you don't have that person in your life, you need to find that person. And you as a believer in Christ, you need to be that person for someone. The faithful wounds of a friend, right? The, here's, here's our culture has got completely messed up. Our culture thinks that the most loving thing we can do is let someone do what they want because it makes them feel happy. The most loving thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is speak the truth to someone in love and not let them continue in their sin. You got really quiet. Here's, here's another thought. If you don't have that person, there's a room full of those type of people that meet every Wednesday night at 6.30 in this room. They're all dealing with hurts and habits and hangups. Every Wednesday night, regen right here. You don't have to be a member of the church to come. You don't have to know anyone to come. Just show up Wednesday night. I, I, need, I need some accountability in my life. I want to become more like Christ. 
I have some habits, some hurts, some hangups. And then Paul shifts. Paul shifts from what would be considered gray areas and how we handle those as followers of Jesus. And then he switches into an area where it's not a gray area. Specifically talking about sexual immorality. Let me define that for you as we have this working definition so you can be clear on what we believe the Bible teaches about sexual immorality. Let's define that. Sexual immorality, here it is. Sexual thoughts or actions outside of a biblical marriage. Sexual thoughts or actions outside a biblical marriage. We understand, right? You understand that God's the creator and God created sex. He designed sex. Everybody say yes to that. But what does that mean? That means he alone can define the parameters for its use. The Bible is clear that sex was created to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in a covenant marriage. Any expression outside those parameters constitutes an abuse of God's gift. Adultery, premarital sex, pornography, homosexual relationships, they contradict God's design, thus making those activities sinful. So we just want to make sure we're, we're clear. What, what do we define? What do we see the Bible defines as sexual immorality? Sexual thoughts or actions outside the confines of a biblical marriage. We would define a biblical marriage as what Genesis told us it was. One man with one woman for one lifetime. That's God's plan. It's not, I didn't come up with that. But if we were going to say we're a biblically driven church, we're going to preach the Bible. And that's what the Bible says. Okay? So verse 15. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Certainly not. As emphatic as Paul could say it, certainly not. And, and so what we understand, back in verse um, 13, this is another saying of the Corinth. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. And this was a justification for the Christian believers to involve themselves in any kind of sexual immorality. What they, their philosophy, what they were projecting into the Bible was this. Well, it's no different when I get hungry, what do I do? That was pretty easy, guys. I'll ask you. When you get hungry, what do you do? You eat. And a few hours later, you get hungry and what do you do? A few hours later, you know, like they used to, my mom used to say, don't eat that before dinner, you're gonna ruin your appetite. My appetite's bigger than you know, mom. <laughs> and I have another one coming right behind it, right? And then they carried that philosophy into sex. It's just a natural desire of the body Therefore, as we eat, when we get hungry, when we have a sexual desire, then we fulfill that. And that's why Paul is so like, no, no, don't you know that when you involve yourself in sexual immorality, as a follower of Jesus, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and you are dragging the Holy Spirit into your sin with you. Is that what we wanna do? You don't have to answer that question, right? 
So what's, what's the action step? Paul simply says, you're thinking it wrong. You cannot separate the act of sexual intimacy from also the connection that you have spiritually with God. That we are body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus died for all of that. We can't separate. So what does he say to do? Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Notice what he does not say. Get as close to the line as you can. That's the question I know every teenager asks, well, how far can I go before I cross God's holy line, right? What does Paul say to do? Run, get away, go in the opposite direction, flee. This is not a gray area. The alarm should be going off. Run, flee sexual immorality. Every man, let's, let's read it, every man, uh, verse 18, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Why then? Why is Paul saying we should, fle- we should flee sexual immorality? Verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What was the price you were, what, what was the price you were purchased by? Scripture says it wasn't by It wasn't by gold, it wasn't by silver. What what was the follower of Jesus? What what was the purchase price for my redemption, for my forgiveness of sins, for my home in heaven? What was the price? It was the cross, it was Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross and paid the penalty of my sin so that I could have redemption, so that I could have forgiveness. And what Paul is saying, when you involve yourself in things way beyond just sex, but anything that is not pleasing to God, anything that is clearly against scripture, he are saying you are dragging God into the middle of your sin. And do you not remember the price that was paid for your freedom? So don't use your freedom to fulfill your desires, he said in Galatians. He said, use your freedom in Christ to serve one another. So although it may not be unlawful, is it profitable? Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, what should you do? Glorify God in your body and spirit, which are whose? God's. Your body is not your own. You can't do whatever you want. And God says, was the death of my son enough for you to pursue holiness? And the culture in Corinth was wicked, a free for all for sex. If it was permissible, it was okay. If it was consensual, it was permissible. And what God says, it's not, a, it's not about consensual. That's what our culture says, right? If people agree, it's fine with me. If it's consensual, it's permissible. That's the parameters our culture has. You realize that, right? And you realize once we have 
washed away, wiped away, gotten rid of any real parameters, any really guidelines, what we see in scripture, one man with one woman in covenant marriage. Do you realize once that line is gone, which it is, what's to stop it from going anywhere? Right? Because really, here, here is the parameters in our culture. If it's consensual, it's permissible. Right now, really the only parameter we have, the caveat to that statement, would have to deal with whether they're a minor or not. That is next. Because if there is no line, there is no line, right? That's why it's important for us. What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't talk about it being consensual, it's permissible. What the Bible says, if it's inside the covenant, a covenant of marriage, that's where it's supposed to be. And the, the, the true and sad reality is one of the biggest hurts, hangups, and habits that our culture deals with is pornography. And statistics would say many in the room struggle with it. And the reality is that is why I wore this shirt today. Because if you want some freedom from habitual sin, the only freedom you're gonna find is in Christ and in community. And you can find that Wednesday night at 6.30. I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. I, I know this morning was, was heavy with emotion, it's heavy with preaching, and, and I have the true and real understanding today that, that there are people in the, in the room right now you have been sexually sinned against. And, and I don't want you to feel guilt over that. I'm so, I'm so thankful that the Lord offers grace and forgiveness and it wasn't your fault. God loves you. God sees you. God wants you to know that. And, and this morning, as we close our service in a song of worship, I, I want you just to sit, okay? just to sit and, and to talk to God. If you, if you feel comfortable coming and kneeling at the altar, it's always open, come do that.